Welcome listeners, have a seat over here by the fire. This is an episode-by-episode watch-along podcast for the new Wheel of Time TV show. Unless you're listening at some point after the inevitable reboot, in which case this is a podcast about the old Wheel of Time TV show. But never mind that dark future, and never mind the Trollocs, here's the podcast. I'm not going to say, what the fuck is up, Hamer? <laughs> what the fuck is up to Viren? What the fuck is up to Viren? Hello and welcome to Nevermind of the Trollocs, your semi-weekly Wheel of Time watch podcast. I am Sarah, I use she and they pronouns, and you may know me from um, s- several YouTube videos, such as me making costumes or me talking about how a Gundam is a costume. But if you scroll back to the very first video on that YouTube channel, it is in fact a Wheel of Time fan film that I made about seven years ago, and it's still the most watched, commented, and viewed thing on that channel, and I cannot escape it. And neither can you now. (laughs) It's a good video. Nobody likes to admit to them the mistakes we made because of our youth. I'm Nina. Uh, I use she and they pronouns, and my L this week is that it was not until the second time I watched this episode that I realized the whistling that wakes up Egwene in the ways is fucking Padden Fane. Uh, I'm Tom. I use he and him pronouns, and my L is that at some point during this episode, I'm going to go full comic book guy mode, and I'm going to become the worst kind of fan. <laughs> Can't wait. Can't Look wait. forward to it, gamers. <laughs> and I'm Max, uh, he, him pronouns. My Wheel of Time L is that when Machin Shin talked to me in the ways, it just yelled cringe, 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 and refused to elaborate. <laughs> <sighs> it was really funny, actually. Um, right after I had watched the seventh episode, someone, I got a notification, not for, because I'm not logged into the Wheel of Time podcast account. But I'm logged in my all, all my other podcast account, and for my a Gundam podcast account, I just got a notification that says Machin Shin is now following you, which was really scary to see after watching <laughs> that episode. <laughs> Good Twitter name, though. Good Twitter name. I gotta say, I only realized the whistling thing because Max had pointed it out like two episodes ago. I'm on. I'm on Fan Watch. Like, if I hadn't known that, I would not. I absolutely would not have caught the whistling. There's also this very brief flash. There's like a flash of lightning after they run away and you see the figure of a man. And I'm pretty sure that's yeah. supposed to be Pat and Fane also, yep. but it's so fast. You can't tell unless you pause. Yeah, I yeah. think I did notice that one, but I was kind of looking for it, to be fair. I think that's one where we're supposed to like, you see the flash and who could it be? It's definitely somebody. And then later in the episode, obviously Pat and Fane mm-hmm. walks out of the way gate and you go, oh, OK, it was him. Yeah. While yeah. we're talking about him, since he's not really that important to the episode itself, there's a really funny line when they see, when uh, Perrin thinks he sees Pat and Fane walk by when they're in Faldara, and Nynaeve's like, that's impossible. He was there at Beltine. He couldn't have survived. Nynaeve, you were at Beltine <laughs> and you survived. <laughs> you got dragged away by Trollocs. Everyone thought you were dead. <laughs> Nynaeve says, do what I say, not what I do. Yeah. Obviously, Nynaeve knows she's special, and Pat and Fane couldn't possibly be special like the rest of them. No. <laughs> what if Pat and Fane is the Dragon Reborn? <gasps> Whoa. We're all doomed. Conspiracy theory. New conspiracy theory. Doomed. 
<laughs> Before we delve further deeper into this episode, shall we have a little recap? What was the name of this episode again? The Dark Along the Ways. In the dark of the ways, shock turns to anger as the young adventurers argue about Matt. Should they go back for him? Did he abandon them? Is he safer where he is? But there is no time to waste, and Moraine, Lan, and Loyal hurry onward, leaving the kids to follow the quickly fading torchlight. Progress grinds to a halt when they reach a sign, rendered almost unreadable by slashes cut into its surface. Someone wishes to make the ways even harder to navigate than they already were, and sensing a trap, Moraine's sense of urgency reaches a new pitch. They will not make it to the waygate for the Eye of the World. They must get out sooner, and Loyal leads them instead to the gate for the borderlands city of Faldara. Moving quickly and carefully over the rocky narrow paths, they are attacked by a Trolloc, and Egwene instinctively uses the One Power to knock it into the Abyss. But any use of the One Power here calls Machin Shin, the Black Wind. They race for the exit, but it catches them, attacking not their bodies but their minds, and forcing them to confront their worst fears. Once again they are saved by Nynaeve. An explosion of power shines from her and drives Machin Shin back, and they escape through the gate into a barren desert, the castle city of Faldara in the distance. Although Lord Agomar is at first suspicious of their presence, he is genuinely grateful when Moraine warns him that Trollocs are now using the ways to move undetected. They are given shelter for as long as they need. Moraine takes the Two Rivers kids to see Min, a bartender hiding a terrible power. She is a seer, and sees hints of the pattern on people. Yet none of the signs point to one of the four as the Dragon Reborn. That night, Moraine admits to them that she believes any of them who aren't the dragon will die if they go to the Eye of the World. She wants to take them all, but leaves them to talk, hoping that they will all come willingly. Emotions run high, and old resentments and secrets cause them to argue, but in the end, they all come to the same decision. If there's any chance they can save their loved ones and the world, they have to take it. In the middle of the night, with everyone else resting up for the journey ahead, Rand can no longer lie to himself. The signs have piled up, and in the ways, it wasn't Egwene who channeled, but him. He is the Dragon Reborn. He goes to Moraine, and they set off just the two of them before the others have gathered, hoping to keep their friends from the probably deadly battle to come. Um... I noticed that you did not mention IR Cold Open in your recap. Yeah. Because it's not particularly relevant to the overall episode, but I would like to talk about it. <laughs> it's awesome. In a series full of girl boss moments. The most girl boss moment of all. Did anybody count how many dudes she kills? Like seven? Like seven? So many dudes. And in such a variety of ways. And she's in labor. Yeah. She's Gregante. She's gregarious. She pergnant. <laughs> Sarah, use your words. Ela está pergunta. Yeah, between between contractions, just like stabbing guys in the mm -hmm. face. It was so sick. Gosh. Like easily the best open of any episode of television I've seen in my fucking life. It was 
so good. And like, she's, I don't know, I is she channeling during this fight? Because she's doing moves that like you shouldn't really be able to. At one point, she like grabs a dude's cape and jumps up with him in the air like five feet. And I'm like, I don't know, oh, what? I, I think mm-hmm. she just did that. I she think she's she doing. Just, she did she, that. She's sort of like she's got some spears and she's kind of dancing with them. That felt Gosh. a bit uh, inspired by like wuxia choreography. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was the like the way the the camera movements were so like woo, whoosh, woo kind of <laughs> movements. That that those are the words I can use to describe them. I I don't know how else to do it. I mean, it it instantly conveys that she's on a totally different level from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the the way that they have the scene, the choreography, and the way the camera moves change speeds gives us time mm-hmm. to process what's happening, but also uh, gives us a sense of just how fast mm-hmm. she is and how how quickly things would be happening if we didn't have this artificially yeah. slowed moment to take it in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I actually, I watched the, like the little behind scenes and they like bought a special action robot for filming that. Like the cameras on the end of like a little robot that can wow. do camera moves. Cool they like, they bought it to do this, this one scene with, I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's- Prop- props to that robot. I, it was a good use of the budget. I, I hope they bring that robot back for future scenes. I hope they didn't just decommission it. One and done. <laughs> they left the robot on the mountain when they were done. <laughs> she, Listen, she stabbed the robot, obviously. Yeah, she, <laughs> she got too caught up in the fight. Yeah. There's a moment in this where she stabs one of the dudes and you see, like, it's not slow motion, but it almost feels like it as the spear blade, like, penetrates the armor and you see it separating the plates of armor. It's mm. so good. I loved it. Well, there's a moment of resistance. Yeah, it's the the fight choreography like sold so well, like that she's exploding. The, she's not just like stabbing a guy through his plate armor because she's strong enough to do that. Whatever, blah blah blah. Like it's like, hey, she's going for points like this. Like she's using these guys as like capes and stuff against them. And mm. oh, they're all wearing like heavy full armor, you know. And she's mm-hmm. she's got like a leather cuirass, maybe, but other than that, mm-hmm. she's just wearing clothes. Yeah, she's wearing she's wearing a cuirass that she's had to like cut the top off so that her tummy can be out mm-hmm. because I guess they don't make pregnancy armor for some reason. <laughs> wow, what an oversight! Get the breastplate stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, you can't you can't bring us back to Game of Thrones. <laughs> Minus 500 points for Tom. (laughs) (laughs) We're so close to the end. Uh, It was was just uh, incredible. And like, we don't really get the resolution of this fight because she kills, you know, seven or however many dudes and then goes into labor, just like pops down behind a rock and and gets ready. Uh, And then a a man with a very familiar heron marked sword just kind of points his blade at her and it's like, uh oh. But I guess, I mean, Right. Well, nobody tells us what the wider context for this fight is. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Because I'm trying to think of like other cold opens that we've had this season. Like, they've all been like. Well, there was the the coldest of cold openings at the very beginning when we get that false dragon booking right. it through the like scrub and getting captured by the red Aja. Mm-hmm. Which is what this reminded me of the most, just because it also opens with her just like 
running as hard as she can, ragged breathing, being pursued. Yeah. You get the sense that this is part of, like, maybe a larger battle, but all I can really think of is that she's an Aiel, and I guess the level of distrust for Aiel is so great that they're Mm. wanting to hunt her down, like, she's where she shouldn't be. But again, it's like, these are all soldiers who are, like, clearly, like, in some sort of battle. You wouldn't put... You wouldn't send seven guys in full armor after one woman, right? When the scene opens, you can see siege engines firing in the background. Mm. Yeah, there's like cannons and shit going across the sky. There's a lot of other people who have died, uh, debris. It looks like part of a bigger battle. Mm. And we know the location because we know that mountain. Like Rand, we've seen that mountain before. (laughs) Two episodes ago. I actually noticed that um, when I was taking notes today and like pausing and stuff, it actually one of the little trivia things like tells you like what battle this is. Oh, which I just thought was interesting because I was like, aren't they going to like come back to this? But like maybe they're just like, ah, well, well, battle of the shining walls. Here we are. This is the battle that this is, like Hmm. in the Amazon trivia Mm -hmm. section. Curious. The blood snow. The blood Blood snow. snow. (laughs) (laughs) That's extremely metal. The only other thing that I really want to say about this uh, open is just there is no music at all, and it's super effective. Like, it's way more effective than if there had been music. It's just nice to be able to focus on the fight. Like, for New Year's, Katie and I watched the the third Thor movie, and it's just like, wow, it's nice seeing something like this after, like, a Marvel fight scene, (laughs) where the point is to be able to focus on what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just so, like, they're trying to make it very real and, like, feel realistic. And, like, you know, it kind of starts breaking that a bit whenever she's fighting, like, three guys at once. I'm like, hmm? But, it, like, the base feeling is still there of, like, no, nah, like, this bitch is really doing this shit. And, like, that's how badass she is. And now she's going to give birth. Mm-hmm. And she also gets stabbed, too. Well, and she gets stabbed yeah. in the kidney. She is absolutely bleeding to death very quick. Mm, mm, mm. Well, and you see that and you think, it's a miracle that that didn't go two inches further and hit the baby. I know. know. Um, Yeah, well, you know, this is the second thing we've learned about Aiel. I guess the third thing. We learned that people hate them. We learned that they have red hair. And we learned that they are just incredible fighters. Mm -hmm. We don't. They don't actually say she's Aiel. We just have to... Intuit. Yeah, intuit that based on the clothing she's wearing. And she's yeah. obviously a redhead. There's, like, wisps of her hair visible. Mm-hmm. 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 I remember what yeah. Tom Marilyn told me. <laughs> Never forget what Tom <laughs> Marilyn tells you. This wasn't even her final form, guys. She didn't have her uh, veil over her face, and that's when you really yeah, need yeah. to worry. <laughs> um, so apart from the cold open... I think overall, this episode felt like the episode where everyone has is together again for the first time since like episode two, and like has it we have a chance to like reestablish all everyone's like relationships, you know, figure out like where we're at as characters like before then presumably going on to the finale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like this, the focus of the episode was like where are our relationships at? Yeah. And Machin Shin even kind of serves to advance that by giving them all insecurities yeah. relating mm-hmm. to one another that they can talk about through the episode. Because I, going into the next one, I don't suppose we'll have much time with all of them together again. 
Yeah, Makin Shin, like, it was so good to me that its voice was just their voices. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. And, like, it did a thing with, like, the way it was mixed as well, where it's, like, it was all of their voices, but, like, whoever it was talking to at the time, like, that person's voice was, like, slightly pushed forwards in the mix. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. really good. Yeah, I I liked that it it's not like a one-and-done threat. It's not like they get out of the ways and suddenly they're fine. They've escaped from the Black Wind. It poisons their brains a little bit, and it keeps on, like, eating away at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if someone gives a bad review on your podcast, it ruins your whole day. <laughs> I also appreciated that it had really obviously affected Moraine, too. That yeah. she's got those, like, red-rimmed eyes, even if she's mm-hmm. trying to tell them all to put it out of their minds and move on, she's clearly shaken. I mean, right. she's coming apart throughout this whole episode. Like, you can tell that she's really fraying. Because, mm-hmm. like, everything she does, she's just, like, not fucking around. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, Agomar tries to say some shit, and she's just like, all right, no, this is the deal. Like, she doesn't fuck about, like, whenever she goes and talks to Min later, she just, like, opens with, like, a very thinly veiled threat just towards Min. Like, t- uh-huh. just tell me, tell me what you need right now. And stuff, like, whenever she's having the chat with the kids, she's like, right, kids, well, y'all might die. Yeah. That's what's going Sorry. on. <laughs> yeah. But I think nothing drove this home so much as her sicking the reds on Matt. Oh my gosh, I Jesus. love that. Her yeah. just being like, I do not have time to deal with this. She ain't fucking around. Well, yeah. and the just her whole thing about her doubts about Matt and her just sneaking suspicion that something dark in him is dangerous for all of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's done with using Aes Sedai uh, persuasion checks. She's using Aes Sedai intimidation checks now. Um, <laughs> but it's just like... It's funny how it almost works out, you know, once they're inside the ways and it's closed off, she's like, all right, it's good that Matt's not with us, because if he is the dragon, I know what side he's going to take. So this is like one fewer variable to have to juggle right now. Like, she is just completely... And and even, like, it, it's funny, because a lot, we get a lot of her early on in the episode, in the ways, in the palace, and then she kind of takes a backseat until the very end, where she's, like, you know, setting off with Rand alone. Well, she doesn't have anyone to have sex with. <laughs> It's like Lana and I need getting together, Rana and I going getting together, and then I'm just picturing like in a separate room, like Perrin and Maureen are sitting, and like Maureen's just like, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> and like And Perrin's just like, I think I might be a furry. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to see Maureen almost getting some good news at the very, very end when Ran knocks on her door and says, it's me. She has a lot of emotions washing over her face, but you can like almost see the relief mm. of, she's like, thank God, I only need to bring you now. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, the the one moment that for me, if I'm a character in this show interacting with Moraine, was very red flaggy for me, was her, uh, like it becomes clear how much she depends on projecting confidence and certainty to get through her Mm. life and the way that she discounts Perrin's doubts because she just needs him to go along with what she has to say. And she's like, Oh, doubts are a tool of, you know, the dark. Yeah. And it's like, no certainty can also be evil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I, cause from that, whenever she's like, don't die, like it's pretty clear that she, she's constantly thinking this. (laughs) She's thinking the same thing, but she's just saying whatever she can. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the, 
there's almost a foreshadowing uh, when she is talking to Lan after she's talked to the kids and she's hoping they're going to come willingly. And she's saying, like, I've already taken so much from you. Oh, by the way, I like the wisdom. There's more to life than me and our mission. Yeah. Almost like she's hoping she's going to be able to leave him behind so that she can save him from what's about to happen. Yeah, because it's like, whenever I was watching that and like having the context of like, oh, she leaves by herself with Rand. I was like, oh, she's like telling Lan to go see his family, telling Lan that like she approves of Nynaeve. Oh, she's like giving him things to Mm -hmm. latch onto whenever she's gone. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, Mm -hmm. no, but she doesn't know that she's going to be the only one going at that point of the episode. But like, it's still, it's still nice. Yeah. And it's been set up from before that she's thought about like, Oh, I heard there's a way to break the bond between an Aes yeah. Sedai and a warder. Yeah. She's thinking already about ways that she can save Lan from what happened to, um, what's his face? Steppen. Oh, Steppen. Yeah, Steppen. Moraine might not have known that she was going to be going alone with Rand, but every time she says, oh, anyone else who's there, anyone else who comes between the Dragon Reborn and the Dark One is gonna die, mm-hmm. like... She probably realizes that she is in that category of yeah. everyone who's going to be there. And she wants Lan to not be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She, she, she talks about the two forces of nature, and I'm counting on my fingers. Okay, the dark one, the dragon. <laughs> Hold on, Moraine. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> the two forces of nature, not the two forces of nature and the girl boss. Yeah, we can't have three. We moved past it kind of quickly, but I want to highlight, mm. um, I think in the prior episode of this podcast... We talked about changes that might be made to Matt's character um, as a result of the actor leaving the program. And I think, Sarah, you pointed out that it might lead them to take Matt down a darker road to focus on that darkness inside of him. And it does seem like that's where they're going in this episode. And had you already watched this episode when you made that prediction? Probably. Yeah, because I've been watching them like one ahead. So I think I probably did. All right, no points for you then. Yeah, because I got I was I'm, I'm very cutting at you. I was like quite sort of upset about this because my coffin's my little meow meow fucking as a person, <laughs> and I don't like to see this slander against his character. He's never done anything wrong in his life. Is it, I mean, going off what you said, Tom, it really does set up quite a lot though, because not only does he have this lingering darkness inside him. I can't imagine knowing that Moraine sent the Reds after him is gonna endear him to her or her organization or anyone of his friends who continues to side with her in the future. Mm. This sets up like a whole cornucopia of conflict later on. Ooh. That is a very interesting thing to talk about in the spoiler section. Mm. Yes, mm. it is. <laughs> so no points to Sarah for predicting the uh, Matt heel turn, no. but... I do think you get some points for predicting that Rand would have a flashback to when he was dragging his dad to uh, that was that Nynaeve was that was so good after the trolley yeah, attack. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm putting I'm giving myself a big like medal award for being like he knows that he's the dragon. He's got to know he's the dragon. We, I know he knows he, and he knows, and then and you yeah. know that he knows, which and makes he knows me that you know that he knows he knows. It really feels like. He's thinking, okay, maybe Dad was delirious because he hears so much about Moraine saying it could be all of you or any of you, and maybe he's using what Moraine Moraine's uncertainty about it to kind of like 
maybe assuage his own fears because he maybe doesn't want to be the dragon. I mean, hell, that's a lot of responsibility put on you when you're 20 years old. Like, he absolutely doesn't want this. Yeah, I would find any excuse to, like, convince myself that, yeah, it was just my dad bleeding out from pig poison in his shoulder. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Because it's like, whenever he's um, talking about, he's like, well, what if it is? What if it is Matt? Like, and it, or like whenever they leave Matt in the way, he's like, no, we have to go back for Matt. Like, it just really feels like he personally really, really wants Matt to be the dragon yeah. so that it's not him. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then he has, in his flashback, he remembers channeling when he was breaking through that door. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which means that he must have had some pretty strong suspicions or even have known that he was channeling when Tom told him the whole story about Tom's nephew and what happens to men who channel. Yeah. And, uh-huh. yeah. So Rand is apparently a pretty good actor because he yeah. managed to keep all of that under wraps. Mm, 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 mm. And it means that when he talks to Egwene about you have to go to the White Tower and I can be your warder and this way we can be together forever... He knows it's a lie. It's a beautiful lie. It's what he wishes could happen. But he knows that it's not going to. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because there's like, again, this episode is good for a rewatch because there's so much that like happens that is just recontextualized by that eventual reveal. Like, you know, whenever I think whenever they get out of the ways and everyone's like harrowed, like Rand looks a little bit more harrowed than everyone else. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, right, that's because the, the wind was telling him that he's dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's himself was telling him that he's yeah. a dragon. And like, I, again, like, even throughout the series stuff we just talked about. Um, and there was like another thing whenever, like, they're having their little sort of soap opera style argument in front of the fire. And then there's one point at, at which Rand, like, just very softly says, like, almost to himself, like, I can't have anyone else die. And it really feels like that was, like, the moment at which he made up his mind to, like, yeah. come out to Moraine later. Although I think it's actually when we see him uh, doing the target practice and he finally gets bullseyes. It's like, okay, yeah. he has accepted his fate. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta be I good mean, at this now. You want to talk about visual metaphor. Like, yeah. Until he accepts that he is the dragon, he keeps missing the mark. Ah! And then when he figures it out, straight shot, bullseye. Yeah. I mean, there's more. Right on I want to talk about that in spoilers. Um, but it is, it's just nice to see that, like, this is, he just needs to go out by himself and, like, have a serious think while shooting arrows. Um, mm. And it's a good, like, not he's certain. And he hit the target. He's clearly played Bethesda games because he knows that the hero is always a stealth archer, so he has to get good at that now. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I like. I also like that. The I think the final piece of his puzzle was like Egwene saying, "Like, oh, also, like, if it is you, like, I'll accept you." And it's like you don't really, you don't really feel like she genuinely believes or knows that it's him, but like she is saying that. Mm-hmm. And then after he gets the um, Agussi. Um. You don't need to call it that. <laughs> a what? <laughs> I won't repeat myself. <laughs> moving on. Yes, thank you, Tom. Keep this train moving. <laughs> How many characters have had their secret power unlocked by Egwene giving them a pep talk? Because Perrin did. Perrin. And Rand did. 
Uh, is that it? So far. Maybe maybe that's Egwene's... Because, you know, Perrin goes dog mode, Rance the dragon, Nynaeve, who knows what her deal is. Maybe Egwene's deal... She's like uh, she's like the Namekian elder, and then she can unlock the true potential of everyone. <laughs> Just kind of pats everyone on the head. Rand, <laughs> Rand. I was that was one thing uh, about the ways that I was really disappointed in, which was Nynaeve using her power. And yeah, it, it's well the first time it happens, it's mm-hmm. so incredible and exciting, and you're just in awe. But this is basically mm-hmm. the same thing over again. And it's like, okay, so if she's in enough danger and she's sad enough, then power just explodes out of her and does things yeah. no one has ever seen before. And I guess that just happens without her needing to do anything. Uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> See, I know. I thought, like, I, I thought that was, I had the same reaction to this time that I did to last time. I was like, whoa, I need fucking going for it. And I think it's, it's because I thought that she was going to, like jump off the ways and like kill herself because of Machin Shin getting to mm. her because she does oh. this thing where like you know Machin Shin's talking to everyone they're all like clutching their heads and then she starts like stumbling towards that really skinny little bridge that they've just walked past and I was like yeah what oh my god like and then and because I think like Lan kind of starts going after her possibly thinking the same and like it's because I had that concern and then she was like no I'm actually I'm saving everyone because I'm really powerful like that like that flip really got me. Um, yeah, I thought she was going to just like scream back at the wind, like she screamed back that at would that have troll felt like... episode one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That w- that would have felt like naive to me. I mean, this is also naive, yeah. right? And yeah. this sets up a uh, a pretty big hurdle for her in the next episode because she's accustomed to like being super powerful. And being the one out front protecting her friends and then being left behind while Rand goes and tries to do that mm-hmm. is going to like be a real challenge to her sense of identity. Mm-hmm. What my kind of sticking point with that is that the first time we see her unleash her power, it's again in this raw emotional moment, lands bleeding out. Everyone in the cave is bleeding out. And in this, we can see that she doesn't have control over her power. When she projects the bubble, she's kind of like doing wacky, waving, inflatable tube man. But she like walks up with a purpose and like calls the power out. But like, and I feel like there's one or two different small things you could have changed about the scene to make it seem like she unleashed it once again, like sort of unintentionally. But I, it, it just still felt a little strange to me that like she chose to like like i don't know maybe like if it was made clear that like she's constantly trying to keep the power at bay and then she chooses to like let go of the reins and let it blast out of her like that but it just felt weird to have her walking so determined and then the split second later like flailing about as this bubble like blasts out of her that is a very interesting thing to talk about in the spoiler section Ah, cool (laughs) (laughs) um Oh, while we're on Machin Shin, I just want to say I loved the visual design of it where like you first of all, it's like Game of Thrones level dark in the ways. And that's a problem on many levels. But I like that 
like, you know, the power is this wispy, ethereal thing, and you just kind of expect Machin Shin to be something similar, but it, it it's like, it almost looks like a swarm of bats or like a cloud of locusts or something, but yeah. you still can't quite fully tell what it is. It's like this very just, it's creepy looking. It's not what I would have expected, this evil, you, the Black Wind, I'm expecting something to look really similar to how channeling looks, I guess, yeah. or how like male channeling looks, yeah. but I just liked that it didn't look like the what I thought it would look like. It's cool. I thought it looked actually, or maybe just the the sound of it was very reminiscent mm. of the shag carpet of doom <laughs> from Shadar Logoth. Mm. There was something shiny about Mushin Shin, and it almost I thought it looked like tiny stones, like little sharp rocks yeah. flying. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely made me think of like beetles and like iridescent like scarably mm. beetle wings Ooch. yeah um if i was being told with my own voice in my head what my own securities were i would simply choose to be fine about it <laughs> yeah yeah what, what's every, what, what's everyone's much in shin um <laughs> i mean do none of these characters have anxiety exactly i was like damn <laughs> what you're just now thinking about this do they not just have uh. that voice in their head all the time this is the first time you've had imposter syndrome? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also like all the, um, oh, what is that rock called? The kind up in ice. Columnar basalt. Thank you, Sarah. It, I like how it's all columnar basalt. It's just, it's just a cool visual design of just like, yeah, you know, it looks weird and alien. I liked what Loyal said about how it used to be, we used to have fruit all over. This place used to be the big persimmon. There was grass and everything and... <laughs> There wasn't bottomless pits. That's a fate worse than death. Yeah. It's a very, it, it seems like a, another spoiler discussion type thing, but I'm just like, damn, I want to know what monster, what, what, uh, what the ways used to be like. Mm. It's a very cool idea. This like corrupted travel realm, I guess. I, I like their design with the columnar basalt, but like part of me, like I, I just, I go to the Giants Causeway every fucking year with like someone who visits me and I I know that that's not quite what it looks like. Like this looks like it's been hand tooled and I'm like that's it's not what it looks like. It's, it's really but it, like Maybe maybe Machin Shin like carves and polishes it as it flies around. Yeah, yeah it like takes me out of it cuz I'm like it's too regular and it's no. <laughs> Tom, you were saying something and then I oh. have a I was just making a joke about Machin Shin being a um, an invasive species that has devastated the ecosystem of the ways. Whoa. It's like kudzu. But the ways felt like too small scale to me. Like, the look was right, but everything needed to be way bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, we needed more of a focus on the, like, size, the cavernousness, the bottomless pit, massive basalt columns, and, like more paths i feel like they didn't do enough to show how confusing it is yeah so i think that's part of the problem with the lighting choice Mm. and having it be so dark is you can't show very much detail you can only show what's right around everybody Mm -hmm. um the artificiality of the environment didn't bother me because it is artificial we know it was built yeah um i sort of wanted there to be more hints uh of what it used to be yeah like a petrified persimmon on the ground they talk about you talk about like oh trees used to be here and it's like where did they grow did they grow like out of the rock that was the colonial basalt was it did it used to be covered in soil like what's like because you know they get to the little intersection that like Perrin sees with his like new improved plus time perception um and it's just like it's more of the same like 
rocks and it's like is this where the trees were like uh-huh. does it look like there's a man-made structure here like what yeah and again to go back to that sense of the scale being too small like they get to the island and there's enough room for them to camp but it doesn't look like there would be enough room for a bunch of trees yeah yeah i mean you get the feeling that it's it's like a video like a mario party video game where any of the columns you step on collapse into the ground like with how thin the bridges between the islands are mm-hmm. um Another thing that bothered me about it, 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 and this goes back to what Nino was saying, it feels so small to the point where it feels like they got in the ways, they crossed a bridge, they camped out at an island, yeah. uh, ran channels, they crossed another bridge, and they're at another gate. It felt like just like two, a quick step and a hop and we're out. And the fact that the gate they come out of is like only a day's walk from the eye of the world. It's like, wow, damn, that was a very, that was really not that inconvenient of a detour we had to take. Yeah. Plus we get to go to a cool fortress city like this. I don't know. Everything's looking up. This is pretty good. Yeah, it's like, cause the, the gate that they, the Faldara gate that they went out of wasn't the one that they were initially intending to go out of. So is there the one, is there just one at the eye of the world that they were supposed to go out of? What? Yes. And did they know? So, and, and Loyal couldn't read the, the stone. They had a camp, didn't have him take time to read it, but he knew where the Faldara gate was. It, it, it felt like if you think about it for too long, and I hate to be the kind of person who gets like pedantic about shows. I like to turn my brain off and enjoy it, but it's just like, I'm thinking about, I'm like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't know. It, it felt cool. I really like the idea of the ways and everything, but it felt like, it's the kind of thing that it's too easy to think about why certain things about it don't make sense. I'm wondering if these episodes have COVID production disease. Mm. And also, I'm wondering if maybe they were supposed to get 10 episodes or maybe they got told they had to do eight episodes because it's like everything feels really like, you know, the episodes, I think especially like the first half of the episode was in general great. And then Towards the end, things start feeling like really rushed. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm just, you know, like Perrin doesn't get anything to do in these episodes. Segwain doesn't really get anything to do apart from like to give the Icacy to Rand and give him a pep talk. I'm sorry I said it again. I know I said it wasn't done. First of all, you should be sorry. That was a mistake. (laughs) Second of all, Egwene does get to give a big, like heroic rallying the troops speech and absolutely faceplant, just completely fail, which is nice. I like to see that heroic speech trope inverted in this way and just like, nope, she did not make things better. In yeah. fact, she probably made them worse. Yeah, actually, I think that the thing that it was Perrin not really having anything to do except be a, an emotionally awkward presence. And evangelize about the way of the leaf. Oh, yeah. He did do that, I yeah. I quite like that scene because we just get to see these kids talking in a tavern together. It's like, oh my god, I missed this. Remember when? Remember the good old days? <laughs> that, that scene felt like the real reset. Yeah. Yeah, every time they take some time and let a scene breathe, it's really good. Mm-hmm. It is funny that Nynaeve is the only one of them who never forgets what situation they're yeah. in. Yeah. The others kind of relax and laugh and joke, and Nynaeve is always like, guys, eyes on the prize. Yeah. What's happening here? What is Moraine doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, look at Nynaeve's shoulders in any given scene she is in. She is so tightly wound. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Except for one scene. Hey. Hey. Well, <laughs> should we segue into it? What, like how Lan segued into her? Hey. <laughs> <sighs> so I actually... um. I wondered about these scenes after the fact and the fact that we see 
Lan way more undressed than we ever see Nynaeve. Uh, that she's the one who goes into his room, that she's the one leaving early, like before the night is over. And is this an intentional, uh, sort of reversal of certain tropey roles? Or is some of this just like the male gaze, but gay? And so it's like, well, we don't want to see her naked. We want to see Daniel Henny naked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in scenes of partial undress, in this show so far, uh, he, I think he's been in the majority of them. Yeah, we, yes, we saw yes. his ass in episode one. <laughs> and now it's time for me to become the comic book guy. <laughs> Let's go. The scars are wrong, or at least they don't match. Oh, rip. Yeah, I, I went back and oh. watched episode one again. His scars on his back look very different. There's a yeah, tisk tisk. <laughs> That's the real L of this week. I do appreciate the ways that they've modified uh, Egwene's arms crossed and Nynaeve's like tugging on her braid and playing with her braid. Because those are ticks from the books that they actually, I feel like they don't feel silly. They feel mm -hmm. true to these characters mm -hmm. and the way that they've done it yeah. here. Mm -hmm. Especially with the like Nynaeve and the braid, just because like, Poor Nynaeve is just, like, this nervous wreck the entire time, keeping all the kids in line. And, yeah, like, I would also be fidgeting with, like, the biggest part of me that reminds me of home to calm myself down a little bit. It very much makes sense. The other thing um, I really... Go ahead. I was going to say, this kind of feels a little bit like the Lan episode. A lot of it, at least. I mean, there's Lan and Nynaeve doing the nasty. <laughs> we get, like... Kind of the full land backstory, at least in a bridged version of it, we get to see, you know, who Land's family are now. And it's like when they get inside Faldara, this whole retinue of guards walks up and they're me like, oh, this guy, what's up? <laughs> like it's it, it feels it's nice to see. It's nice to see like all this nice stuff surrounding land because we really haven't we've heard about this kind of stuff. But like, I guess this is the Borderlands, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And I guess presumably bordering the blights. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. It, it is, it's just so nice. I loved, I think one of my favorite parts was seeing when Land is with his family and he's talking to the young girl and he's just like so warm and happy and telling her stories. And it's like, wow, damn, like we don't get this land. This land doesn't need to regale 20 year olds with cool stories. Yeah. It's just a very nice moment of it's a very like not that land doesn't have humanization, but it's a very humanizing moment for land seeing that. Yeah, this like gruff, cold warrior can also be really, really nice and talk with young girls about battles and Trollocs yeah. and everything. It's, I like that you as a non-book reader still have the uh, impression of land as being like a cold, gruff warrior, because like for me as a book reader, like the switch from that he's like he's just so funny and sassy in this but only like relevant to the books really yeah like i only have that impression because like he he gets he, i have nothing from him in the books mm. to me and like stuff whenever he says like again i mean it's with his family and it's different but like it's like in the background other guys like wow she's beautiful and lani's like really i hadn't noticed <laughs> like he's cracking jokes it's so good yeah, it's nice. I really love the conversation between him and Nynaeve about how each of them has these other loyalties mm. that are potentially points of jealousy. Yeah. Uh, because it makes their relationship feel more equal. Mm -hmm. 
in a way that mm-hmm. often it does, it it feels weird at some other points where it's like I don't entirely get why you two are drawn to each other, but this one kind of really lays out, oh, you you both had your families killed. You were both raised adopted in places you mm. weren't from, and then you both chose these lives that had you giving up any sort of a personal life to devote yourself to something else or someone yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, because that's the conversation where Nynaeve is like, oh, you, you, Ma- Maureen, it's because, no, because Lan is like, Maureen doesn't actually own me, Nynaeve, and then brings up the like, oh, but does the wisdom never marry? And they sort of have this, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she also has this unbreakable, or to her, unbreakable vow that would stand in the way of any sort of long-term anything. Mm-hmm. 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 I like them. They're a good couple. They're good. Yeah. Yeah. I always assumed Lan, part of why Lan liked Nynaeve so much was because she reminded him of Moraine, but although she is a girl boss, she is not his boss the way Moraine is. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I was going to say, we could, speaking of couples, Rand and Egg, but I feel like we said everything that really we kind of went over Rand and Egg in her pep talk. Um, I mean, one thing this episode does for Egg is it... <laughs> One thing that this episode does for Egwene is that it uh, it develops her character while sort of making her obnoxious. Like, she has these moments, like, when she comes down to Rand while he's doing therapy archery, and she's like, I was waiting for you for an hour in my room for you to come and apologize. And it's like, yep, that's that's her personality. Mm-hmm. And it's insufferable right now, but we can also see the places where it makes her very, like, strong and good. Yeah, because that's the same sort of mm. aspect. Her, like, that sort of very stubborn and determinedness and, like, I'm the hero kind of quality when she's like, guys, we're gonna go to the eye of the world and save everyone. And everyone's like, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As well as her being like that at the start of that conversation, Rand is equally as just like catty, like throughout the whole episode. Mm-hmm. And, like there's some stuff he says to Loyal in the ways where Loyal is like, I'm going to explain trees. And he's like, Yeah, Loyal, we get it. Yeah, we get it. We get it. Yeah. It- in, in fairness, in that case, Loyal was like going on at length about the horribleness <laughs> oh, of the yeah. death that awaited yeah. them. So like mm-hmm. I can I can see Rand being like, No, we we're good, actually. You don't need to explain that anymore. I'd listen to Loyal explain anything. <laughs> Very soothing voice. Loyal should make a podcast. Loyal explains to you how exactly you're going to die two hours AS at Mar. <laughs> but I think that in a similar way that Moraine is kind of at the end of her tether in this episode, Rand can be said to have the same. By the reveal at the end, you realize that, oh, the reason he's so bitchy and so upset and like almost crying the entire episode is like, oh no, he's just thinking about dragging his nuts to Moraine and going off to the eye of the world. I thought that was a good dragon joke, just just saying. Sarah, we're putting you in timeout. You're done. <laughs> that was a good no, 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 I don't know. That was a good one, Sarah. I'll stand by you for this. Uh, speaking of Rand's moments of cattiness, uh, Nina definitely gets points for correctly predicting that Perrin was in love with Egwene. I really didn't think it was that mysterious. I thought it was super obvious from episode one. But then they never do anything with it for the rest yeah. of the episodes. Yeah. Except kind of making him jealous of Aram when uh, they're they're visiting the travelers. Yeah, again, it's like mm-hmm. it's a reveal that recontextualizes the rest of the series and episodes. 
Because, you know, mm-hmm. again, I look at that and I'm like, yeah, sure. But I, I didn't think it was going to be a thing. I didn't think it was going to come up. And to be fair, it isn't really a thing. I really like how it like comes up and it's like this co- big dramatic soap opera style confrontation. And then in, in the next scene, like, it's like, I don't care about that. Uh, I would guess that part of the reason that it hasn't come up in the ensuing episodes is that Perrin is so guilty about killing Layla and, and, and that mm-hmm. retroactively makes him even guiltier about his uh, attraction to Egwene. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when, when they're all sort of having that fight in, in by the fire in that one room where Rand says the day that Egwene and I got together was the day you proposed to Layla. So like if Perrin proposed to Layla as a means of trying to forget Egwene and then flash forward however much time and he jams an axe into her stomach, like, Damn. Yeah. Poor yeah. guy. Perrin sowing. Perrin reaping. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? This sucking yeah. sucks. <laughs> yeah. I think my sort of gripe about Perrin has nothing to do this episode. I mean, Perrin definitely needs some time to not do anything and chill out and deal. Like, I mm-hmm. think it's good that Perrin is allowed to have a chill out episode. But then also, I know there's only one more episode in the series. And it's probably going to be Rand and Eye of the World focused. That's what I was going to say is that I'm I'm really wondering because the pacing was a little weird in this one. And yeah, it makes sense. The penultimate episode ends with the hero setting off to fight Satan Mm. or whatever. And it's just like, what the like, how are they going to balance this? Like, what is it going to be Egwene and Nynaeve and Perrin trying to hunt down Pad and Fane and Faldara? Like, I truly can't imagine what else would be going on while Rand and Maureen go to the Eye of the World. Because it would still, I think, and I haven't seen the final episode yet. Three of us haven't. I, I just wonder, like, is that is the last episode going to be nothing? Is it going to be one focus? I'm very curious to see what what they do with the rest of the characters. Because I feel like it would be weird to just ditch them for mm. season two, right? I mean, maybe the other characters are going to gather an army, like a, an army of men folk. And go to the great black gate that gives access into the Dark One's realm. And there they'll uh, distract the Dark One by negotiating with the voice of the Dark for a little while. And then having a big battle. That's right. The voice of the Dark's going to have a very weirdly, overly animated Buddy. mouth. And- oh, so it's Pat and Fane. It's just Pat and Fane. Oh, yeah. He, we did say he had mm. big teeth. Shit. Fuck. Tr- I want Patton Fane to wear the cool hat thing in the mouth of oh, Sauron yeah. War. Oh, yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what I think is going to happen yet, but my dad, who has not read the books, has also watched the whole first season. And what he thinks is going to happen is that the following seasons will focus on individual character storylines, mm. that everybody's mm. going to wind up split up, and then we'll get... A season following Nynaeve, a season following Egwene, a season following Perrin, and then all of it tying together in a later season. I love that idea, but I'm imagining a gigantic comedy anvil suspended by a rope over it that just says, like, fucking Ben Garrison overly wordy style streaming shows get canceled too early all the time and it makes me so worried because i feel like that might be best case scenario because there's so much set up for every individual character but like i'm feeling like i i i'm i i go to min and she sees my future and she sees the pain i feel with the show <laughs> and then having only half of those seasons come to fruition yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of men, actually, I don't think we've touched yeah, on that. Yeah, let's talk about men. Men, 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 men. <laughs> We love men. We all love men. We love men. Actually, Max, as a non-book reader, how do you feel about men? Let's get your men opinions. Up, up minions. Up, up, up minions. Minions. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, men, men explain to us for a second. Um, so, she's not, I, I feel like what men can do isn't channeling. I feel like there's different enough. So, A, we know that there's several malevolent forces that have nothing to do with the one power, like the carpet and Machin Shin. Maybe Machin Shin, do, who knows? Anyway. Is Machin Shin the drapes? Mm. They, they kind of the match. Fly, no, the flying carpet. Oh. The magic carpet. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, Moraine mentions <laughs> Moraine mentions that uh, she had to hide men from the Aes Sedai. She's like, no, Aes Sedai, no, you're here. Except for uh, Lord Aglomar's sister. Uh, Amalisa? I don't know. We never got her name. I don't even think her name showed up in the, in the subtitles. It might have been an Amazon x-ray thing. It, it was a very cool idea to me. I, I always like the whole thing of seeing the future i mean my favorite game in the entire world xenoblade chronicles it's basically about that um and it it was just very interesting to me the way that she's used like half as an exposition tool where she's like you know oh they're very connected and maureen is like is that an unusual and she says very and i you know for what it's worth they're really clear if you're more important you are to the tapestry, the more clear the vision is. So it's this whole thing of men exist to once again reinforce how important all of the characters are and how they are so mm. intertwined. But I really liked that it, it feels like a matter of interpretation in a similar way of an Aes Sedai's truthful or deceitfulness in that we see Perrin, eyes yellow, mouth dribbling with blood, and it's like, okay... That kind of goes in contrast with him trying to be peaceful from the future with the way of the leaf. And we see Rand holding the little babby. And I'm like, well, maybe he gets a happy ending, but he's going to fight Sauron yeah. right now. <laughs> like, it sets up all these interesting things. And that she mentions, uh, Maureen says, what about the girls? And she says, I see, um, what, like a white light and a golden ring. A white flame. A white flame and a golden ring. But she doesn't mention which of the two she's yeah. talking about or if that means both or one or what. And I, I just, it's a, it's a very cool wrinkle to add. Cause it's just yet another thing that kind of gets tucked in the back of your head for the future, what they can develop on. But like having this person who can sort of see the tapestry is just a very cool idea to me. Again, yet another really ingrained fantasy trope, but in this kind of show, they know how to play it. Well, that I like, yes, I like this. This is good. Yeah. Stan Min. And, that her very first vision ever was about Rand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, th I like. I think. Gosh. You know, to me, the least interesting thing about Min is almost like her visions. Like, what I like about her is how she is, like, as a friend to Rand in this episode, and again, her sort of attitude towards Moraine, where she's like, "Oh my god, this again," and it's just like you get the sense that her like having this kind of all-powerful ability to see the future and know exactly what's going to happen. She's just been dealing with it her whole life, and it's just kind of like, you know, she's very no bullshit in that way. And she, But she's also very, yeah. like, you know, there's things that she doesn't say to Marin, uh, and there's also things that she, like, doesn't really say to Rand. Like, Rand is like, do I come back? And she's just like, 
and doesn't answer him and he just assumes <laughs> that yep. he knows what that means and like she does the same to like Moraine like Moraine is like whose baby is mm-hmm. it and she's like I don't know and I'm like yeah it's just a baby like, she, this thing like she knows things well, and she's just like she knows when to stop talking mm-hmm. I'm sure she she doesn't know all of the things um but also that this is clearly a burden for her. Yeah. Like how yeah. much of how much of the drinking is she's a bartender and how much of it is that she drinks to deal with the visions. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we, she doesn't seem to have to concentrate terribly hard to see this. It could also be that, you know, it's so clear for the kids, but imagine just like you're walking around and you're just seeing like the deaths of half the people around. Like that's a lot to to sort mm-hmm. of shoulder. But I like that she's still this sort of like wry, funny character. When Rand first asks her, "What's what do you see?" and she's like, "Rainbows and carnivals and three beautiful women." It's just this cute little moment, and she's like, "You know, you're also going to Mount Doom." Sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God, that's cool. I do you have more to say about men? But that will have to go in spoiler chat. Yeah, mm, you got a juicy spoiler section. I there. know. I know. Y- yeah, very. The other thing I kind of want to talk about a little bit is Agumar and Amelisa before we go to spoilers zone. I want to say about the Moiraine Agomar yeah. scene, I have mostly tried to avoid any kind of commentary on this show from other watchers, and I've mostly succeeded, but I have from time to time seen complaints about the acting, and this was the first scene where I really felt like, hmm, this could have used another take mm, or two. Mm, mm. There's like an awkwardness to the interactions between the two of them that I don't think is intentional and I don't think mm. works. See, on a, okay, to be real, whenever Agomar is on, I have no complaints. I cannot complain about his acting because I cannot see his acting because the only thing I'm looking at is his feather cape. Because <laughs> I'm obsessed I with it. it. The, ah, he's oh like my god, I'm just like, all I can see is the cape. All I can look at, all I can think about is the little father cape. It's, and the details in the back, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Everything about Fal- Faldara and the people in it looks so good. This, it's so this part cool. of the book is my favorite part of the book. I fucking love the Borderlands and the Borderlanders <laughs> and the whole thing about it, the backstories. Um, the way they've realized it in the show is ah, mm-hmm, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay, so I agree with you that the scene with Agomar felt sort of awkward. I thought it was intentional. I thought they were trying to convey that he doesn't really trust the Aes Sedai. He thinks they're all up in everybody's business all the time and they have no right to be. And he's very suspicious of her suddenly showing up with no warning Mm -hmm. until she gives him this actually very important and essential piece of news. And then it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay. You've bought my yeah. forgiveness. <laughs> I, I guess... I, I was... You go, Tom. I guess watching it, my feeling was like... At first, I was like, oh, Moraine has unintentionally walked into a domestic political situation. Like, that's why it feels weird, because they're having two different conversations. Yeah. But then they didn't go anywhere with that. They didn't pay it off in any way. And so it just left it hanging, feeling mm. weird for me. I mean, yeah. they touch on it a little bit with the conversation between Moraine and Amalisa that Amalisa trained to be an Aes Sedai and wasn't quite strong enough, didn't finish mm-hmm. the, the training or whatever, but that she uh, sort of sees the benefit of what they do and is more aligned with that way of dealing with the world. 
Yeah. Versus I, the brother who clearly seems very like independently minded to the point of arrogance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh <laughs> I mean he projects so much confidence about Faldara's ability to deal with the blight that I was expecting them them to reveal in the course of this episode that actually they're in big trouble and they cannot handle mm. the blight. Yeah, you think he's projecting. I I think the awkwardness in that scene was intentional as well. Because, like, Maureen just keeps on getting interrupted by this guy who's just so, you know, cocksure and is like, you know, I'm the dude in charge here. And, like, it even calls back to um, what Leandrin was saying about how, you know, there's still men. Men can't wield the one power, but there's still men in charge. And it, he 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 does seem very very distrustful of the Aes Sedai. I don't know if that's because he's like doing it in regard for feeling bad for his sister who couldn't make it, or if he's just distrustful of the Aes Sedai in general and and, and the One Power in general. But I do think we could have used mm. another scene with him because that we literally see him one that one scene. Yeah. That's it, and he doesn't you know, pose, he's certainly an interesting character. Again, he has a really cool, badass Bloodborne robe, but I, it just, it, Moraine, when she gives him, she's like, yeah, just, you know, I don't know, board up the ways gate, some fuck he's going on over there. Keep at it with the blight. You're doing great champ. Good job. <laughs> I, uh, I might be projecting from what I remember from the books, but I do wonder if part of the bravado and part of the distrust of the eyes that I, isn't that like, the Aes Sedai could try to remove him. Mm. They could try to take control of mm. Faldara away from him and give it to someone else. And so he needs to project this like complete, like Moraine, mm -hmm. he has to project complete confidence and competence to get people to respect him and do what he wants. Yeah. Mm. And I also would wonder if that would be the sort of seed of the kind of um, bitchiness between him and his sister. Because again, you get the feeling there's there's like there's like there's trouble there, and it's also like he's quite like a, oh, like I don't know how else to describe them as other than like bitchy. Like towards Moraine, he's very like, oh no, this this person's come to like tell me what to do. I've got to be like, and then but it's sort of the same with like Amelisa, like the way Amelisa is towards Moraine. She's just like, oh, fellow woman who can channel, ooh, and like, she, but she looks so awkward when she's trying to talk to Moraine, but she's trying to like project this like confidence mm -hmm. of a channeler, and Moraine is like, buddy. You're so fucking weak. You're gonna do what <laughs> I say, and I actually. They both have sort of similar vibes, but in opposite ways. It feels like they were they're in the same sorority at Lesbian Witch University, <laughs> but Amelisa is like a freshman, and Moraine yeah. is a senior. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Honey, you got a lot to learn. <laughs> Anything else? I like the architecture itself of Faldara. Oh, yes. I mean, c comparing it to, we see Tarvalon, this gigantic, ornate city, huge tower, you know, covered in the plant life and just how bombastic all the architecture is. Shadar Lagoth in a similar way, it's, you know, from the outside, it's very plain, but the inside, it's like all you know, writhing and all these like statues and uh, very ornate in a sinister way. And Faldar is just like a brick. <laughs> It's this very utilitarian, defensible-looking structure where it's like inside, you know, there, it, there's it's lively enough. But like, I just liked how very angular and boxy it was. It from was the like inside. It's a very nice silhouette it has. It was like something out of like a bunch of different like wuxia films that I've seen, like the, the big fortress with the big walls, mm -hmm. and like that's Valdara just in a nutshell. 
And the red stone looks a lot like the castle of that king in the south who had joined oh, yeah, Loghain's Gilded one. That's where I thought rebellion. we were at first. Uh, and then the interiors, it's all this uh, like rough spun silk bedding and quilted mattresses and the ornate uh, wooden window mm-hmm. panels. Mm-hmm. It's really lovely. Yeah. yeah, and they have that like certain kind of like... I vacation there. Arch with a little nipple at the top motif. Like squarish arch with a little boop in the middle. Just around the place. Mm-hmm. I sort of kept noticing. Yeah. Cool place. Cool place. Cool place. And uh, like the armor of all the like um, the uh, borderlander sort of guardsmen and stuff. Really fascinating. They're called Vault Hunters. <laughs> <laughs> that one's for the gamers. Uh, um, yeah. Is that is that is that enough gamer talk? I think we also wanted to mention how cool the blight looks as well. Oh yeah. Mm. But could it look cooler? I just I I think it's neat. I just think and again, this is sort of coming from the contrast of my what I thought the blight was like in my head because of the books, but I just really like how it's this creeping growing it has like sound design of like of like you feel this like this thing growing but in a very bad way and it's like they're like tree looking things but they're upside down and it's almost like a fungal growth scaled up to macro huge scale yeah yeah i mean it looks great (laughs) my only problem with it is uh, I I want at the edge to have a sense that there's like new blight growing. Mm-hmm. It's like a hard stop, and there's no like mini blight saplings coming up out of the ground. Mm, yeah, something like yeah. that would really sell the like danger of it. The sense that the blight is always encroaching. I guess for me, part of that also comes down to like the blight is Trolloc incursions, but it's also this growth. And obviously they're fighting the Trollocs. They have whole armies of dudes for that. But what are they doing about this? Like, there's no one there trying to burn it. There's nobody there hacking at it to try and fight it back. Yeah. It's just there. Exactly. You'd expect there to be, like, some camps and just, like, the ground to be scorched and all, like, fucked up right at the very edge of it. But no, it just, like, it just stops very cleanly. I feel like the thread thing that we sort of keep coming back to with like the ways with the blight with like i know some other things we talked about it just feels like this episode could have done with like another two or three think throughs they should have consulted us like everything feels like a little bit underproved and like i'm wondering if <laughs> needs a little more time in the oven yeah i'm just wondering if that's just circumstances surrounding covid you would also highlighted the rushed sense of it and the question of how many episodes did they think they were going to have for this show. Yeah. I think if this had been two episodes, if it had been one episode getting through the ways and then one episode in Faldara learning about the blight and the domestic political situation, then probably that would have resolved a lot of our complaints. Yeah. I, I have absolutely no idea how many episodes they were originally going to get versus what they got or if they were supposed to get more. Um, I, I do not have any information concerning that. Well, and I'm not sure what you would have cut is the is the other thing. Like, sure, you know, maybe it's all a little bit rushed, but what could you have taken out to get a little bit more time? Yeah. Yeah. They already cut out a ton. Yeah. Mm. Okay, listeners. Um, 
regular listeners, our favourite listeners. We like you better than the other listeners. Don't tell the spoiler zone listeners that we said this. That they'll never know. Um, thank you for very much for listening. <laughs> I don't think they only tune in for the spoiler section. Almost <laughs> the bit. Come into the bit. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, catch us on Twitter at NVM the Trollocs. Email us with stuff you want to say. We are still probably several weeks away from recording our uh, wrap up. So get your thoughts in if you have any mm-hmm. thoughts. Uh, to nevermindthetrollocks at gmail.com and of course if you want to recommend this podcast to friends, family, fellow wheelie time enthusiasts or dethusiasts you can go to nevermindthetrollocks.com Let's roll on over to the spoiler zone. I would like to begin by saying how, f- like, all of us were trying not to laugh when you were like, ah, men being sarcastic about carnivals and rainbows and beautiful women. That wasn't a joke. No, that happens. That happens. <laughs> <laughs> is the carnival specifically um, farm adding, or is that just, like, a more general thing? I don't know, because to, to me, the carnival is, like, the carnival that, like, the girls get, like, stuck in for, like, five books. I'm like, there's this the there's just this oh. one carnival that keeps popping up that they keep hiding in. Isn't it? And Matt Matt ends up with them. Yeah, too. like Matt and Tion get there. But that's like a that's like a it's like a circus. Okay, what's the? I thought that I, I thought is that different? Different vibes. A carnival is like like street celebrations and oh, stuff. Like, okay, like um, well, carnival type carnival. I think of a carnival as being like a circus, but a carnival has rides, and a circus doesn't necessarily have rides. Mm. That kind of carnival. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But anyway, the, I only remembered the three beautiful women, but I <laughs> that does happen. There's definitely a point in the books where, like, one or multiple of the Taviran is traveling around and, like, every city they stop in, like, starts throwing a huge, like, street festival. Yeah. And then by the time they leave, the birth rate has, like, doubled. And, yeah. <laughs> <There's>, yeah. <laughs> Either way, there's a lot of carnivals and circuses. Yep. And definitely three beautiful women. That, well, so the, the first time I watched the episode, I, I thought she was being serious. I was like, oh, that's a weird thing. But then I watched it again today. And the way Rand immediately is like, you see the eye in the world, it, like made it think like he thought that that was a joke mm. to disarm him. Yeah. That's so funny. Oh, my God. I mean, he's, he's clearly a doofus and didn't get it. Um, well, he also... <laughs> He can tell that she doesn't tell the whole truth all the time. Mm. And she's already said, you're the dragon reborn, so he thinks he's going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Also, also props to her for saying three beautiful women when she's one of them. Yeah. It's good. It's good to be confident like that. Hey, she didn't sell herself short. (sighs) In the books, her visions are so much more like explicit. Her visions for Rand are like, you're going to have a golden crown and a magic sword and a big marquee over you that says Dragon Reborn right here, pointing arrows at you. <laughs> Hell yeah. Neon signs. <laughs> I like the way her visions were, they're, they're, they're kind of vague and ethereal because I feel like in the books that it was just like an overwhelming amount of information that if you were to even bother trying to portray on screen would just like, it would just be nothing. I like that they kept the sparks like trying to fill the darkness and the darkness trying to swallow the sparks. That's right out of the yeah, books. And that's yeah. really good. Yeah. Cool. And that they do yet another thing talking about the Amerlin, but not, you know, which Amerlin? The Amerlin is not necessarily Suan Sancha. 
I wrote in my Ooh. notes, I'm like, I don't think she's talking about Swan. I didn't, I didn't catch that because again, because I, in my brain, I have like done math and worked out a way that like, oh, maybe Swan Sanchez like could be her downfall if this, this and this. But again, that's kind of based on the fact that I've watched the next episode. So that's a different kind of spoiler zone. Um, but I like even before watching the finale, even before it like, First time I was like, that's definitely Swan Sanche. He's going to be more in Stonefall. Ah, uh, bury your guys. Very sad. But yeah, that's interesting. And the white flame, which Moraine doesn't connect to the Amberlin seat at all, which is funny to me, but mm. okay. Yeah. I mean, Moraine probably just assumes it means Anne Aes Sedai. Yeah. And since she wants both of these girls to go and become Aes Sedai, she's just like, yeah. Score, it's going to work out for me. My plans will come to fruition. <laughs> yeah. Everything's coming up, Moraine. I have a question for Sarah as the book's expert. Me? Little me? In the books, when they open the ways, do they have to channel? Absolutely not. That is completely new. Yeah, I was going to say, they use like a, a keystone for yeah, it. Yeah, like the ways, because the ways in the books, here there's these two pillars in the books. It's like a wall with fancy carvings. And it's like you take a leaf from one of the carvings in the wall and that like opens the ways. Um, but yeah, that like again, that bothered me because I was like, are, is the episode because like Pat and Fane comes through the ways, and I'm like, is this an implication that he can channel? Like, did he get through the ways in some other way? We have been told that the Ogier built the ways and used them, and we don't have any reason to think the Ogier like all channel or even channel at all, right. Because you can't use the one power in, in the ways or Machin Shin will go get your ass. So then I'm, like, I'm thinking like, okay, well, how do they leave then? Because Moraine you channels, presumably in my head, it has something to do with the fact that it is no longer this verdant paradise full of the juiciest persimmons, <laughs> the side of the Mississippi or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just assumed yeah. that like you, you, you could channel, but like you, whenever you channel, you have to be also leaving because Machin Shin will be there to get you. Yeah. You'd have to have taken your antidepressants first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the main spoiler zone thing that I want to get to is Ran shooting the arrows. And then, like, his channeling as well. And the fact that the thing about the his, like, little meditation trick, the flame in the void, um, was, like, super important throughout all the books and hasn't been mentioned at all in the show. And I sort of thought they weren't really going to bother with doing that, but it sort of seems like... They are because it definitely seems like he is doing something differently to be shooting arrows better, and therefore we can connect that to his channeling possibly. So I, I don't know, or it could just again be the cinematographic trick of oh he's hitting the mark now. Yeah, watch and find out, I guess. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that I could imagine him being taught in a future season, mm. maybe by an experienced channeler who can speak to him directly. I see. And, and the actually, the other little book change that I find interesting is that Rand seems to be consciously able to channel. Like, the, the times he's done it, it seems to be, like, yes, like, instinctive but like he's known that he's channeled whereas in the books he did not he had no idea that he channeled like throughout the whole book speaking of that max brought up Nynaeve's channeling um and that sense of her like purposefully going out there and summoning the power from within herself mm. um 
And her like whole arc for most of the first, I don't know, uh, two thirds of the books is trying to learn how to channel on command. Yeah. She's got all this power, but she can only do it when she's super angry. Mm. She's got like major rage issues and no control and can't like can't even do the smallest, most basic little bit of power channeling unless she's furious. So it is like a super sane thing for her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She just has to watch Krill and get blown up. Uh, you you mentioned another you sort of hypothesized another story development that I thought was really funny because you were talking about Matt after Moraine six the reds on him. Yeah. Mm. And how there's no way that Matt is ever going to like trust Moraine again or even trust those who are close to her, uh, which will be an interesting wrinkle when he has to save her ass in like 10 seasons. Oh, tremendous. I mean, also adds a layer to his eventual romance. What a show. What a show. Could you channel? No, she can't channel, but she enslaves channelers. Oh yeah, oh yeah, right. Okay, that that makes sense. <laughs> oh, she can she can fucking channel. That's that's part of the whole the whole revelation is that everybody who can do the enslaving could also be enslaved. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, for for me, that like because so much of his future arc is like I don't want anything to do with Aes Sedai. Like literally, his like wish he makes is like I don't want anything to do with the one power. I don't want it to be able to touch me and. And that's his like plot line. It's just like it, it kind of you know it throws a wrinkle in the Saver Morenza plot line, but like also really makes sense in that he is fundamentally opposed to like everything to do with Aes Sedai for the rest of the books. Like not like not like that he hits them. He just is like, no, I will stay away from this. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna mind his own business. Yeah, he's just trying to stay in his own lane. <laughs> It's like that clip from Yu Yu Hakusho when he sees like the demon horn. He's like, does that guy have horns? Oh, well, not going to ruin my day about it. (laughs) My coffin seeing a trollic. (laughs) Um, In the books, is it the same situation where only Rand and Moiraine head to the eye of the world? Nope. They all go there. Cool. I'm pretty sure in the books, Rand does not know he's the dragon. Mm. Like. Well, because. Rand is going to spend the next like five to eight books trying to decide whether or not he actually is the dragon yeah yeah mm. I, I i really liked actually because and i think i was whenever i was thinking about oh rand knows he's the dragon this is great like i was sort of hypothesizing about a future scene where he comes up to marine and like comes out to her uh, and i really like i really liked that moment really sold it for me but it is very different to the books where the Aes Sedai are the ones telling him that he is the dragon and he's the one refusing to believe it um, and it's a chin. It's like the Matrix. Yeah, I've only seen one Matrix movie. I'm, a, I'm sorry. I mean, it's mostly the first, the fucking second and third are a lot more heavy hand with it. But the whole thing is Neo's like, could I be the one? I'm not the one. And then at the end, he's like, oh shit, I'm the one, or am I? It's, it's <laughs> yeah, very... that, that's book grand, absolutely. Cool. Um, I like this a lot better, and I like that he's sort of smart one. He's got agency. Mm-hmm. I am happy to report that right before like we really got into the episode, I was like, alright, Katie, final answer, who do you think the dragon is? And she said Rand, so she got it right. Everything's coming up predictions. We're all getting points. Mm-hmm. Any more spoilies? I definitely thought of more during the episode, but uh, they're not coming to mind, and if they're not coming to mind, they can't be that far. It feels like a lighter episode in general, though. Lighter how so? 
No, like like compared to last week's, I feel like there was less to talk about. There was maybe a little bit less going on as well. And I imagine next week is going to pop off. I hope so. It's the finale. Better. Hmm. Yeah, like this because it was so rushed, everything that happened was like a plot development to move on to, which kind of, it's not as helpful for talking about things. <laughs> it's just like, here are all the things that happened, everything happened so much, let's just go. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of intriguing setup. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to wait and see if they can pay it off. Yeah. And I mean... It's just as good for us if they don't, because that's equally as many things to talk about, just in a worse light, but you know. Don't give away the podcaster's secret. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, I don't know, I don't got any fucking predictions for the final episode that I can just, like, nod at. I really don't think Moraine is gonna die. She seems far too important to die in the eye of the world. Like, the she's basically the main character before of, of this season. Mm. Like, Mm-hmm. I'm sure she'll have stuff to do in the future. I don't know. Like, I, st- I still don't think Randa's going to defeat the Dark One at the Eye of the World. There's a lot of books in the series, and the first book's called The Eye of the World. I, uh, we're far enough off of the events of the book that I feel like I'm allowed to make a prediction here. Mm. I think mm-hmm. the other kids, the other hobbits, are going to go after them. And something is going to happen at the end of this that is going to require, like, everybody's contributions. Mm. It's not just going to be Rand throwing down. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's going to be the power of friendship. Ah, yeah. By their powers combined. <laughs> the real dragon. <laughs> Captain Dragon. Captain <laughs> Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> That's extremely good. All right, lads. Exciting stuff. Um, spoiler listeners, mm. you're actually our favorite listeners. We lied to our previous listeners last, last, last about 20 minutes ago. Um, next episode, join us for, uh, Captain Dragon, the finale of, uh, Amazon's Jeff Bezos' personal Wheel of Time season one, where we will be talking about the power of friendship, probably. <laughs> That's what the episode's called. Yeah, it's called the power of friendship. Uh, we're actually yep. we've been watching Yu-Gi-Oh this whole time. Haha, tricked. <laughs> this has been part of greed. <laughs> um, I can't believe you didn't say the one power of friendship. <gasps> Whoa! Shit! Fuck! Wow! <laughs> well, you can find wow. us all on Twitter with our personal Twitters. Those are in the descriptions. You can again send us stuff, come talk to us, whatever. Blah 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 blah. We'll we'll let you know what the deal is in the final episode when we're going to be recording a lot. And mm-hmm. thank you for listening. Never mind the impending sense of doom that I get as I await my co-hosts to all watch the finale and have opinions on it. Oh dear. It's nothing like hearing someone say don't worry about it to get you to worry about it. And never mind the Trollocs. Never mind the Trollocs. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. The Wheel of Time turns and podcasts come and pass, recording audacity files that become mp3s. mp3s that give rise to hot takes, but even the takes are long forgotten by the time a new episode comes out. For one podcast, called Nevermind the Trollocs by Some, a podcast about shows yet to come, a podcast about books long past, 
a five-star review was written. The five-star review was not the end of ways you can support the podcast. There are no beginnings or endings when supporting podcasts about the Wheel of Time, but it was an ending. Show us your minions, Max. <laughs> he got me a new Funko Pop, one of my Christmas gifts. Oh, fuck yeah, dude.